Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Time to introduce my first guest. Took out a trainer's licence back in 2003. Within a matter of months, had his first success at the top level. Most recent grade one came just a couple of months ago in the Henry VIII Novices Chase at Sandown. And most importantly, I think for him, I'll ask him, <laughs> the milestone of 1,000 winners was reached earlier on this week with Ansam. That man is Evan Williams alongside. Um, first of all, congratulations. Four thank figures. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it... Um... It seems like a lot of water under the bridge. Did you know you were on 999? I've been well briefed by the kids for a long time. <laughs> and uh, look, we, they were counting it down, so it was good to get it. Does that mean that in some ways it, it, it's, a, it's a great family operation and we were delighted to, to go down there on Racing TV um, before your, your excellent double at Sandown on, on Tingle Creek Day. And, and I got the sense it was a real family operation, but was it the, the wife and kids that were more aware of the um, in approaching thousand than you were, per well, se. They're always more aware of everything that, that is supposed to be made aware of. I just sort of go away in my, my own little world sometimes. Is it fair to describe the, the operation as first and foremost a family-run operation? Oh, 100%. We couldn't do it without everybody involved. You know, there's five of us and we've all got a little job that we do. And I think that's how it keeps rolling, really. Uh, and that is, of course, your, your two girls ride out there. Of course, we saw Isabel um, riding yesterday on, on good old John Constable. Um, your, your wife is very heavily involved. Your son is involved as well behind the scenes. Well, they, just, they run the office and then us three deal with the, with the horses. And that's, that's how it seems to work. They, they stay to their job and we stay to our job. And did you, if I take you right back to, to 2003, was, was that how you envisage things running 17 years on? Oh, look, we didn't envisage anything, really. It sounds unbelievable, really, when you talk about training a 1,000 winners, but all we ever wanted to do is keep our heads above water and survive. And, and that sounds that you're just saying it, but that was the honest truth. It was just an operation that developed. We never set out to be training racehorses. It was just where we ended up. So if we, if we go back... Um, you initially started out training punter chasers, point-to-pointers. Yeah. Uh, that was for how many years before you took out the trainer's license? Oh, we started training point-to-pointers, I think it was 97. We moved to a, a, a place away from where we are now. Uh, a good old boy called Bob Mason bought a place down the road. And we went there, there was a house there, and I had a young family. And the old farming wasn't going great at the time. And the point-to-point riding, it was so different then, you know. But we just started to get rolling I was riding a lot of pointer pointers, and I had the chance to train some, and um, that's how it all kicks off. Riding riding pointer pointers as a as a hobby, not career. You were a, you were predominantly from a farming background, and you were riding pointer pointers because you, you thoroughly enjoyed it. You didn't necessarily see that as a career going forward. Didn't see we we were just farmers who there was always pointer pointers around, and that's what you done in those days. You know, running under rules was just something that other people done. It was all very, very local, very amateurish. And I just, you could see point-to-pointing was changing and there was a chance that you were going to get paid to train point-to-pointers. And because I was having a bit of a run riding them, you sort of got into it that way. Owners wanted you to train their horse so you could ride it. And that's how we got going. And was foot in mouth, because it must be, a, a, was that 2001, a couple of years before you took out the trainer's license? Was that, was that a catalyst as well for you moving away from farming? Oh, well, it, was a, it all sort of came together, really. I mean, that just killed us. We had two places going, two yards going. 
full of pointer pointers and foot and mouth came in and you couldn't run them. Mm. And um, I had a pile of cattle around me as well and I couldn't sell them. So we couldn't run the pointer pointers, I couldn't sell the cattle and there was a lot of other things going on. I had to move out from, from the place I was and we had to go and buy a house and everything. So there's a pile of things happened at once and I thought the best way forward is to get a trainer's license and at least then you could keep going 12 months of the year and, and keep rolling an income in. But um, it wasn't a plan. It was, as I said, lots of things happened. Well, I mean, it sounds like you were, you were pretty much forced into making a big decision. They, you know, they, they say that people only make big moves like that when, they're, when their back's up against the wall. So oh, were you worried at the time when you, when you made that decision? Well, I'm, I, I never worry, you see. I've just got a great <laughs> habit of making other people worry. And, um, Would the family agree with this? You never worry. I'd say I'm not a worrier myself, but I do, do create a lot of havoc amongst the family with making them worry because I should be worrying, you know. And it was one of those instances, but we ploughed on and, and, you know, that's how it all worked out, really. We just got stuck into it and um, managed to sell cattle, managed to buy a lot of pointer-pointers in Ireland and um, just kept rolling, really. So, so geographically, you, you are now very near where you grew up, or you are where you grew up. Well, I am where I grew up. I went to live there with my grandparents. It's a long, old story. My parents split up and I ended up there with my grandparents. My grandfather died and I took over the tenancy on what was a farm um, opposite to where we are now. Mm. And I um, borrowed a pile of money off the bank, went milking cows and um, got, got stuck into that. You know, I took over the tenancy when I was 18 and um, yeah, it was 30 years last year that I started out on my own. But as I said, it was milking cows and, and riding pointer pointers for fun. It was never, ever in my intention to go training racehorses. But, but that sort of, again, it was the first time I'd been down to see you when we came down about um, seven or eight weeks ago. And that, there was a, a, a sort of sense of pride seeing you walking around there. You might, every morning, you've been there for a while, but you must walk out and it must add to it, the, the feeling you get there, given that you've got such history there. I, I didn't want to go anywhere else. The problem we faced when we did get going with the licence is that we were outgrowing the old farm. And... There was a lot of sleepless nights. I suppose the worry came, were we going to have to go elsewhere to train? And I didn't want to go elsewhere. Mm. You know, I was born and brought up in the area. Um, and there was a lot of, I suppose, a typical Welshman, really. You, you want to be home and you feel at home at home. And I wanted to stay there. And I managed to buy a bit of land opposite where I was. And um, I managed to develop where we are now. But that was necessity because you were growing. So was there ever a point you reached where before you, you got that extra land, where you thought, maybe size-wise, if, I, if, I, if I, I want to have a string of 100 horses, I'm going to have to shift on them. Yeah, yeah. There, there was, we were in trouble as far as space was concerned, and it was definitely either make where we were better or go elsewhere, and I didn't want to go elsewhere. But, I mean, we, we, there was plenty of times we, there was offers on the table to go elsewhere, and, and I was very tempted to take them but um, I'm glad I've done what I've done and stayed where we are. But that in some ways when you're making those decisions that's because you, you, it's a victim of your own success right because you people are interested in you training lots of winners. You, I mean you really hit the ground running you say that it wasn't the, the plan necessarily to to well you didn't envisage being as successful as you are but I mentioned the first grade one came along pretty quickly and you you you, you got off to a flying start. Well we did and that's that's how the cards fall sometimes you know and you you either roll with it or you don't and um we were very, very fortunate that we had a lot of horses that did make the, the step up from pointer-pointers to 
under rules. And I didn't want to stay still. You know, I did want to go forward and I did want to try challenge myself and, and have a real go at it. Did any part of you when you when you started training doubt without necessarily, you know, growing up within that regime within a training family? Did any part of you doubt whether you could be a trainer, whether you could train racehorses? I never lacked self doubt. Um so you I, never lacked self-doubt or self-belief. Never. Uh, well, I, I never, I never thought anything I've ever done was going to fail, really. Okay. Um, because if you were struggling, I would just get up a bit earlier and go to bed a bit later, you know. And um, I suppose I was hardened to getting on with life and getting on with work. It was never an issue for me. Um, and I suppose what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, and that was the attitude we've always had, really. We just kept going on. Not afraid of a, a bit of hard work. And, it, I mean, it, it paid off really well for you um, with, with some of the horses that you had. Were you surprised the quality of the horses that you had, that you had quite early on in your career, the, the deep purples, the states of play, state of play and the like? Well, I mean, you are surprised where they ended up because there was a lot of naivety going into where these horses did, did end up, but you learn pretty quick. Mm. I mean, we, these horses had to deliver. It wasn't the case that we could go jolly hockey sticks and around. Make no mistake, these horses had to win. I mean, I had bills to pay and mortgages to pay, and um, we were out to train winners, and um, we needed them badly. Make no mistake, state of play winning a Hennessy. Mm. You know, he was he was badly needed to get the ball rolling to get get the money coming in and um, cemented uh, what has become a great association with Mr and Mrs Rucker who owned him and um, and with the, a lad who came there from nowhere, Paul Maloney, yeah. who, who again played a massive part in riding us lots of winners. You and you and Paul with your, your staying chasers in these colours, it sort of became synonymous with the time. Were you aware of that at the time? Well, you, no, not really. You just, As I said, you've just got on with the job, but I make no mistake... I needed state of play, and I needed Paul Maloney, and Paul Maloney needed state of play, and 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 Evan Williams, and and the horse needed us both, and you know without him, things would have been a lot different. So so how did it all come about? How did E Williams, the Ruckers, and P Maloney come about to to, to all get involved together? I was very uh, fortunate. Um, Mrs Ruckers' mother, Pat Tollett, was a great horsewoman. Rode lots of winners, point of pointing, and I rode winners for for Mrs. Tollett, and um, there was a connection there then, you know, through the point of pointing. Um, so that's where that little um, partnership came. Um, and I was buying, to take a play, I remember went into the ring in Doncaster and I bought him. I'd buy a lot of horses on spec, and, mm. and Mr. Rucker hadn't had horses under rules then, and he gave me a nudge and thought it'd be a nice ladies' point of pointer for Mrs. Rucker. So that was that job done. And... Um, Christian Williams was riding a lot of winners when we started, but he, of course he was connected to Paul Nichols yeah. as a claimer, and, and Chris was going down there in the winters and was leaving me really in a position where I needed somebody. And um, I just thought Paul, he'd had a great record in Ireland, he's champion amateur, and he'd ridden a lot of winners in Ireland, ridden Moscow Flyer for Jesse, mm. and I thought there was a lad, you can't do that in Ireland unless you're good. And he was wasted over here, and um, he just fitted fitted me, and I fitted him, and 
the old job sort of worked together. You approached him? I can't remember what happened. I think he rode, he was probably his agent, mm. rang me one day about riding a horse. And I remember a little horse, a little horse called Cumber um, in Hereford. And Paul fell at the last. But Paul was always a great fella as mm. far as summing the situation up pretty well. And went from there, really. And 400 winners plus later together yeah it, it was a pretty good move wasn't it well it we look it was one of those things you know if things are meant to be they're meant to be type of thing and um i think i might have given him a bollocking once he rode a lot of horses for me and i didn't interfere in his job and mm. he didn't interfere in my job he rode them i trained them and um it just worked and just back to the Ruckers again and, and, and your association with them and, and, and the way you approach it together in your, your buying horses. You don't necessarily set out together to go and buy a horse that's going to win a Fossilas bumper, do you? It's, 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 it seems very long-term, the approach with them. Oh, 100%. But then that probably goes back to the way we all are, really, you know, um, is that we always take a long-term view with a horse anyway mm. because we think that's the best way and that's what we've always done. And, you know, none of their horses are rushed. We do the sales. We, we don't employ agents. We do it ourselves. Um, so any of the you know the majority of the winners that we bought have been sourced by ourselves. Uh, the odd occasion I've used an agent, um, but we do it ourselves. And if we get winners, it's because we find the right horses. If we get losers, it's because we've done a bad job. And you know you live and buy by, live and die by that. Just looking at your your yearly records going through to to a thousand, you stay pretty consistent. But, you know, by and large, I know, obviously, yards take dips and that happens. But, but has there ever been a time where you've, you've thought, I'm, I'm concerning, I'm sorry, I'm concerned, you know, this isn't going the way I want it to go? Every day. <laughs> every day. And any trainer who sits here and, and says everything is just a continual level is, is, is nuts. We've, we've been level with our results because we graft hard to mm -hmm. get... get the level results and but every day something goes wrong every day you're fighting against something but then that's the art of doing the job you know and I think that's the where I get the enjoyment look I'm a very boring person very very boring I'm, I, not, I'm not buying it and I enjoy working out the puzzle of of keeping the whole thing rolling mm. and to do that you've got to put up with the bad times and the good times and pretend everything is going well all the time. Do you, is there going to be some people watching saying, oh, he, he lets loose every now and again? Oh, probably, yeah, probably, <laughs> 100%. Yeah. You celebrate a winner. We, look, I'm not a great party man throughout the day, you know, just because you've had a winner. I'd never have a drink if I was racing or anything like no. that, never. Um, I'd have a glass of wine or a glass of beer or something like that mm. in the night or with a meal or something like that. And I've got into plenty of things I shouldn't have by drinking too much. There's no <laughs> doubt in that. But I don't, I'm not a drinker, if mm. that makes sense. You know, I'm not a drinker at all. And I, I get my kicks out of doing my work. And that sounds boring, but it's the truth. But you, what, what gets you going is the fighting another day and the, and the, the puzzle of the next day and the next week and where the next winner's going to come. But I've always been like that since I was a kid, I'd mm. say. You know, I think what, what, what you go through as, as, a, as a child... Uh, probably makes you what you are as an adult and I went through plenty of things when I was a kid which probably 
you know, made you tough and strong and, and kept going forward. And so I think somewhere in the line you're, uh, in your life, you have a bit of a, a reality check. Mm. And I was lucky to have mine when I was a kid. So everything after that really is water off a duck's back. And, and you know, you basically just get stuck in. And um, my enjoyment and, and what I do is training racehorses. And I get a lot of a lot of satisfaction out of doing it. Um, one thing I'm, I'm keen to ask you is the... Well, I don't know if it is a love affair with the Swinton Hurdle, <laughs> but, I mean, history would suggest it might well be. But I remember when Silver Street won there and uh, I had the pleasure of being there and looking back at that record thinking, crikey, this would be his fourth. And I think I said to you afterwards, is it, do you plan to, to, to have a go at this race? And you said, sometimes we just have the right horses that fall for it. Is that, is that it? That's the, that's the same with any race. You know, sometimes... You can plan all you want to, but unless all of um, the figures add up and, and the horse's health adds up and the season adds up and the ground adds up, you, you'll never, you can never push a river. You can never do something mm. if it's not going to happen. But sometimes things just fall into place. And, hey, look, some tracks are lucky, some horses are lucky, and that's the way it goes sometimes. And um, he's gone from, from strength to strength. Um, John Constable, we had success in the race with him. He went on to run in a champion hurdle and Silver Street bettered him by finishing third in, in the champion hurdle. I, I, I presume all roads are leading back there this year? Yeah, we'll aim there. We'll aim there. I mean, everyone says it's such a terrible race this year. You know, it's a dreadful, dreadful race. So, um, well, it was the best race of the festival last year and then the three at the top of the market d- didn't run to how we thought they would, so there you are. Listen, we'll aim It's there. never a terrible champion hurdle, is it? That's my thinking of it, but you know what people say, mm. so um, we'll, we'll go and give it a go again. Was Kempton at the start of the season what, when he won that listed race? That was, I mean, did you, did you think he'd go and, and do that? Well, we'd have been disappointed if he didn't run a good race, but there was horses in there that you'd expect to have run better than they did. Mm. But we were impressive that day. And it was just nice to get the show on the road because he'd had a tough season. I'd run him enough. And this year we just thought we'd go about things differently and treat him like a grade one horse. And he's been third in a fighting fifth, second in a Christmas hurdle. And um, we thought we'd go to Cheltenham fresh and happy and, and see how we get on then. He was fresh when we went to see him. Uh, again, this is time-wise, this is in the, the build-up to, which is early December. Um, but he'd just run pretty much, had he not? Yeah, he'd run in the, um, up in Newcastle. Yeah, fighting fifth. Yeah, and um, the ground was deep there up, up in Newcastle and, and it wouldn't have suited him. Mm. Um, and the second and third lads, regardless of what they say, they definitely got caught caught napping but look that's the way it goes and our horse came out of, out of that and ran a very good race I thought mm. in um, in Kempton the winner was impressive the, the filly was very impressive of JP's and Nicky Henderson's but um, you know you can never be scared of, of having a crack at them again and we'll have a go at them again I said to you this day oh you must you go back to Kempton when you'd have a right chance there because looking at it doesn't look the strongest race and you said There'll be something yeah. that'll come out and end up at the top of the market for the. Ch- and you were right because you're you're a realistic man and and, and you were spot on. With well, that. you you've got to be realistic. Yeah. I mean, you can dream all you can stand in the middle of that or gallop and dream all you want to, but when you're making your entries and your declarations and you go and run them, you can't dream then. So um, I think you've got to be realistic in this game. Um, where are you? Reality-wise, with your uh, most recent Grade One winner, Esperidio Large, he was good at, at Sandown. Well, he's just improved a lot. You see, there's another horse that's just improved a lot, and um, I'd say we'll go straight to a, straight to Cheltenham with him. Two miles. I'd say so. Yeah. We, I'd say we'll go to the Arkle 
I can't see any reason why we wouldn't. Um, he's had three runs over fences. He's good and tough, and they came pretty quick together. So um, you see that there's a great graded novice chase run in the spring, and if you run them hard during January and February, you can miss out on some very very good pots. You've got Cheltenham, Aintree, Air, Punchestown. I mean, you could go to Aintree and go. Uh, go to Cheltenham and fall at the first well you've still got a chance then to go to Aintree mm. so you know it made sense to get him fresh and, and to go straight there if you were and it seems silly to say you're not targeting the Arkle because it's the Arkle but if you were out and out Cheltenham that is the the goal and it wasn't necessarily a spring campaign you're mentioning would you be keen to run him again I wouldn't because he's won a grade one he carry a penalty uh-huh. you see so everywhere he goes now um you're just making it hard for him, really. You know, the way to find out if you're a, a very good horse is to run him in, in the best grade ones in the spring. It's, we know he's a good horse because mm. he's won a grade one already. So there's no point in flogging him around the place just for the sake of it. So we'll, we'll have a crack at the Arkham and see where we really stand. And the, we talked about Paul and, and, and then when, of course, he, he moved on. Um, you already had Adam Wedge... Wedgie lined up to, to go in his place. How big a day was that for for you all? Oh, it was it was probably bigger than we think. I mean, we've had some great days. Don't get me wrong, um, but Wedgie, look, he's been with me since he was a ten pound claimer, and we've got a lot of faith in him, and he's a very very good rider. But a Grade One doesn't half look good on the CV, mm. and that that was his, it was his first Grade One, and lifts him, you know. Confidence is huge in, in jockeys. And I'd like to think he's got plenty of confidence in me and, and I'd like to think that he knows that he's got my back in 110%. Mm. And, um, but he was following in... I mean, make no mistake, Paul Maloney was a, a, um, a tough act to follow because he, he'd been with me so long. And Wedgie had seen... I mean, Paul was the ultimate professional. What people don't see... Um, is the work that goes in behind the scenes. Mm. And make no mistake, Paul Maloney was a pro. And Wedgie had to go from a boy to a man, and um, I've been very, very proud to see him develop into a man. And I don't think there's too many professionals would would say he's not a you know, top-class top class rider now. Do you feel a responsibility? I think the obvious from the outside looking in that a trainer will feel a responsibility to to the owners of their horses, um, to the horses themselves. But do you feel, feel a responsibility to a jockey when they have committed to you? Because ultimately, if you go out of form, it's nothing necessarily they're going to be doing wrong. But they're, if they're committing to you, there is a, a cert, or do you feel a certain amount of responsibility to, to provide them with, with horses that are going to win races? Uh, what I'm, well, the answer to that is going to sound um, a little bit big-headed, but the reality is that any lad who knows me knows there'll always be winners there to ride. Mm. Um, we will find them a winner. And, and I think that's what, that was a big thing with Paul, is that's why Paul wouldn't interfere. He didn't want to train the horses. He knew, look, say nothing. Go where Evans tells me to go, and somewhere down the line the job will come right. And Wedgie could see that developing, and I'll get them winners. Don't mm. worry about that. And, you know, the timing of that was great as well, because a little bit was made of, of course, uh, Adam had to, to go and ride Silver Streak up in the, the fighting fifth, and 
I think that was the weekend that the Russia counter won the, the, the Labrooks trophy. And then the following weekend can be great, can't great level of racing sometimes. It was great for him to, to of course he didn't get his grade one up at up at Newcastle, but he, the week later he came and rode that horse at Sunday. But that's the game and you've got to you've got to be strong, you've got to be able to to know that that's gonna happen. And it was great to see young Ben Jones win on it for Emma. You know, that was fantastic. But I can guarantee Wedgie went home from the fighting fifth and he knew I wasn't a happy man. Mm. And he just missed out on winning a, a Hennessy or the Ladbroke or whatever it is. So that journey home would have been a long way home for Wedgie that day. But when he got home, he would have known that he got me in his corner. Mm. He'd know that. You know, he, he, I, I would go in through the front door and out through the front door, and those lads know that. I wouldn't go sneaking around the back and talk about this, that, and the other thing. I, I'll, I'll slate anyone in my kitchen or in my yard. I'll call them all the you-know-what's under the sun. But once I go out of that gate, they're my men. Mm. And... Um, you know, I'll stick by them through, through hell and fire, and, and they know that. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albastiet Cruel Dubai.